Cannabis is booming. It's in our name, Cannaboom. And we get excited when we run into people who are on the move and really making things happen in this young industry. Today's guest, Alex Milligan, is someone who's doing that, co-founder and chief marketing officer at NUG. He is definitely moving the needle. NUG is really three businesses in one. NUG MD, where you can get your medical marijuana card online in a few minutes. Nug Market is an online marketplace where you can find all sorts of cannabis products. And Nug Club is a monthly subscription box that delivers an assortment of cannabis products to your door at a really good price. So Alex and I talk about how executing on three innovative businesses across various states, each with their own specific rules and regulations, can get really complex. If you enjoy business, you'll enjoy this episode because it sounds like it's been a lot of fun for Alex and his team. Whether you're a subscriber or first-time listener, please stop by and see us at Cannaboom with a K.com. We are focused on how cannabinoids and CBD can help you achieve better wellness and how to find CBD that's trusted and reliable. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and please leave a review so other people can find the show. Thanks to our producer, Danny, in Milwaukee. And here is my interview with Alex Milligan. Cannabis is booming and Cannaboom is on it. Welcome to the Cannaboom Podcast, where we interview experts on the changing story of humans, health, and hemp. From San Diego, here's your host, Tom Stacy. Hey, it's Tom. Welcome back to the Cannaboom Podcast. Today, we have Alex Milligan of NUG. Hey, Alex, how are you doing? Doing great, Tom. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Doing good. Thanks for being here. For the listeners who don't know about NUG, what you guys do? Yeah, so we do a few different things. Um, NUG is a branded house of sorts in that we've got three different business lines that we've created over the years. So in, in very short terms, uh, the NUG market is an online marketplace for cannabis delivery in California. We started that back in 2015. So very similar to like a weed maps uh, with online ordering. Um, you know, back in 2015, the concept of, of moving things online and facilitating that transaction there uh, was totally novel. But obviously, since since then, uh, Weed Maps and, and several other major players have introduced that. So that's Nug Market. Uh, Nug MD we introduced in 2016, and that is a telemedicine platform uh, that allows anyone to go online, video chat with a doctor, and get approved for medical cannabis. Um, and that operates in seven states, soon to be nine or 10. Uh, and then our most recent line of business, uh, and certainly the one that I consider most innovative, although, I mean, NugMD is up there as well, uh, just a bit older, is uh, Nug Club. And that is what we consider to be the industry's first true cannabis subscription uh, model. Uh, it is essentially a subscription box that comes every month, every other month, or every quarter uh, that has over $225 worth of product that people pay $99 bucks for. It's totally personalized. It basically allows uh, you know, our customers, our members to explore the world of cannabis um, in a way that doesn't break the bank. Um, so those are the three overarching lines of business, NugMD and Nug Club certainly being the ones where we are uh, spending the most time and investing the most uh, resources into. You have your hands full. That's a lot going on. It is. It is. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a very careful balance, but uh, we've figured out a way to do it well. And it seems that they are synergistic in that, you know, you get your, your medical card at NugMD and then you're ready to go to the market and maybe sign up for the club. That's exactly right. I think uh, NugMD... Um, you know, since 2016 has been the method by which we've bootstrapped this business. We've, you know, not taken any outside capital to this day. 
uh, and NugMD was, you know, the catalyst or the growth engine, whatever you want to call it, that allowed us to reach a large potential audience, bring them in through an incredible service that granted them access to uh, the medical cannabis market. And then ultimately, based on that trust that we've established with them, uh, you know, we bring them into our into our other offerings. So you're exactly right. Well, and it's a nice qualifier, too, because, you know, if somebody wants to get their card, a, either they are a, a real medicinal user or be their cannabis enthusiast, a, a recreational enthusiast. That's exactly right. Exactly right. How does that manifest in your customer list? How many are more focused on the medicine or more focused on the recreational aspect? Yeah, great question. So it definitely varies by state. Um, NugMD started in California. Um, and as you know, you know, Prop 64 came into effect and or was voted in 2016, but you know, the fully regulated market came a little bit later. Uh, needless to say, though, you know, since the day we started NugMD, California has definitely skewed more towards the general like health and wellness as opposed to this is like a strict medical user who is um, addressing you know a chronic ailment uh, or condition. Granted, just by the sheer volume uh, of patients that we do see in California, uh, there is still you know a significant percentage. I, I'd say it's you know around twenty percent, twenty to twenty five percent that are aiming to treat a, a you know severe condition. Um, and the rest are probably more those, hey, like I, I definitely use it for health and wellness purposes, whether that's to treat insomnia, anxiety, what have you, but I don't necessarily have a long-term chronic condition that cannabis is the only uh, or the best option uh, as, a, as a treatment modality for me. Um, whereas in other states outside of California, so like New York is totally different. Whereas in California, our average uh, our average customer is, I believe it's like 29 or 30 years old. In New York, it's 56 years old as the average customer. And those folks are absolutely uh, predominantly using cannabis as, as a primary uh, treatment method for whatever ails them. Uh, so it definitely varies state by state. And it's been really interesting to see um, you know, how states kind of shift over time and how the demographics, you know, kind of change as uh, people become more aware and more open to the idea that medical cannabis uh, is something that they might want to experiment with. That's a really interesting distinction in that the wellness market itself is a little different than straight up medicine. Yes, yes. There is a distinction there. There's a lot of blurred lines. Um, I think. I think in general, you know, we're all still trying to figure out where cannabis falls on the spectrum uh, of everyone's daily life and how does it weave into our routine for general health and wellness, uh, as well as to combat, you know, specific things, whether it's anxiety or, or depression or, or insomnia or, or what have you. Um, I think that's still being tinkered with. Uh, and I don't think the science is necessarily out on how effective cannabis will ultimately be as compared to other pharmaceuticals or, or options uh, for severe conditions. Um, but there's, yeah, there's a distinction. There's also a lot of overlap. And I do see people moving from one to the other or using it for both. You know, a lot of people simply do find that cannabis uh, is effective for improving their life in a wide variety of ways. Uh, so I think that's what's really 
uh, you know, interesting and, and special to see about this plant is, is just the versatility that it has and the broad range of efficacy that, that, you know, it's able to offer people in their lives. This is my 70th episode, and some of the earlier episodes I did with cannabis activists like Keith Strupp of Normal, you know, in the early days, back in the 70s, 80s, they were making the argument that this was about personal freedom, and they never really did get traction with that. It was only when, you know, out of the San Francisco scene where people were using cannabis with AIDS patients and helping them get past nausea and, and some of the conditions that they had, that the public really began to go, oh, this is a legitimate medicine. And that was really, I think, the linchpin for a lot of the legalization effort, at least in California. So it's interesting that now we're at a point where it's not straight up hardcore medicine, but it's more of a wellness factor. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see. And, and I definitely think going into the future, we're going to see um, stratification a little bit. You know, there's, I think there's always going to be that overlap. But again, as people, as we learn more about the plant, as science tells us one thing or another, uh, and as people become familiar with cannabis and what it can do for them personally, uh, I think we are going to see it fall into several different buckets, which is, it's optimal, frankly. Well, and it's interesting to me too, that you see a difference in between California and New York. Are there cultural differences or demographic differences or the age difference in those two markets is an interesting piece of intel? Yeah, cultural, societal, there's definitely a regulatory component that comes into play here uh, in that, you know, in New York, there is a bit of a stricter, uh, you know, defined list of conditions that qualify for medical cannabis. Whereas in California, you know, most people are well familiar with this by now, but it is a bit more lax. It is pretty much up to, uh, you know, the physician, your doctor to determine whether cannabis has a place in treating or improving your life in some way. Uh, whereas in New York, it's much more uh, by the book you either have this condition or you don't, you either qualify or you don't. Um, and so I do think that definitely plays a role, um, but cultural is absolutely one as well. I mean, California simply being, you know, a haven for, for cannabis use for decades at this point, um, and it being, you know, widely recognized as like a pseudo recreational market, even going back 20 years with, you know, Prop 215. Um, Versus New York, which has been a much more underground, kind of clandestine recreational market, uh, now being you know legitimized via medical, uh, and so I think just naturally the demographics of people, uh, you know, becoming interested in, in cannabis in New York falls more towards the medical side of things and more towards uh, you know just an older demographic given the conditions that actually allow for someone to access the medical market there. From a business standpoint, it would seem like this complexifies your brand outreach considerably, I would think. At some point, we're all anticipating a federal legalization that would, I don't know if it's going to totally flatten out the field, but do you have to have sort of 50 different marketing plans when the whole nation is such a patchwork? Depends on which business you're talking about. If you're talking about NugMD, uh, I guess for both businesses, the the short answer is kind of. <laughs> um, there are components that can easily be transferred across 
various markets, and then there are components that can't be. Using NugMDD as an easy example here, uh, when it comes to different you know, regulatory structures across the states, we have to adapt our product to be able to accommodate that. So in certain states, uh, for instance, take California and New York again as, as examples, right? In California, the doctor uh, can conduct the evaluation online, issue the prescription themselves, or the recommendation as they call it here, uh, and send that physical lettered uh, recommendation to, directly to the patient with no other involvement necessary. Whereas in New York, uh, the doctor does the online approval, but then the patient and the doctor both have to go through the state's Department of Health registry uh, to take additional act, uh, action on the back end. Uh, and then the Department of Health is then actually issuing the patient a state card, uh, which they receive from the state in the mail. So that's an easy example of, of just how uh, uh, regulatory structures define our product experience. And so we do need to adjust that uh, state by state. But if we're looking at things, for instance, from a marketing perspective, aside from like key demographic differences, which definitely requires some level of personalization, um, you know, the marketing channels that have been effective for us uh, have held strong across pretty much every market we've gone into. Um, those main channels really being uh, SEO. So organic search and you know producing content and, and information and education that draws people in at the top of the funnel, gets them interested in medical cannabis and, and allows them to understand uh, how it might be effective for them and ultimately converts them, uh, as well as affiliate marketing, which our primary method of affiliates has been simply partnering with the dispensaries on the ground in those states who obviously have potential uh, cannabis users or medical cannabis users coming into their storefronts, expressing interest, but not yet having that medical card. Uh, so we build a relationship with them whereby those dispensaries refer these prospective patients to us. They get verified online, and then they're able to go back into that dispensary and become a paying customer. So those two channels have worked really well across the board. Uh, but as more states come online, uh, as, as you mentioned, federal um, you know, decriminalization or ultimately legalization happens and more acquisition channels uh, and marketing channels just simply become available to us. I think there is going to be an increasing need uh, to personalize our efforts according to the market that we're targeting. I know even with packaging, there are different rules in different states and that's got to be quite a hurdle. I can see where the dispensary would like to be able to extend to their customers the ability to get the card, but are they worried about losing that customer once the customer discovers that you have the market in the box? So it does depend on uh, the state in New York, for instance. So we only offer the box right now in California. And it, actually right now it's only in Southern California, although we will be expanding uh, very shortly here. Um, so in New York, the dispensaries that we work with, there's absolutely uh, you know, no risk on their end or no apprehension because we don't have a separate market offer, marketplace or box offering in that state. Um, so we just feed those patients directly back to the dispensary. In California, obviously we've run into this um, you know, potential roadblock uh, with dispensaries wanting to work for us for the reason that you just described, like, might we steal the customer that they ultimately refer to us? Uh, and to, you know, overcome that, uh, we basically create 
a layer within our technology stack where uh, if someone is referred by a dispensary, they actually do not ever get exposed to our marketplace or our box offerings. We promise dispensaries that, hey, if you send your, your, your customers to us, they come through NugMD, we will send them straight back to you and they will never hear anything from us uh, in regards to the Nug Marketplace or Nug Club. Now, obviously there is some spillage that just cannot be avoided in the sense that you know, we have NugMD as a pretty prominent brand, but we've also built, uh, you know, the Nug Market and Nug Club and, and are beginning to more and more so build the Nug Club brands. Um, so people recognize the Nug name and ultimately, you know, might experiment with one of our other offerings as well, even if we didn't directly, um, you know, try and persuade them into trying it via our own email or, or otherwise or other communication channels. That's an impressive level of customization, I must say, to be able to um, personalize each customer's experience um, based basically probably on the zip code they're in. I can't even begin to describe how long it's taken to, <laughs> to, to make sure that we're able to do things like that at scale. Um, but it, it ultimately, you know, from the time when we were investing heavily in the marketplace, uh, with NugMD and even now with Nug Club, you know, we essentially have two customers. One is the dispensary, the other is the end consumer. And so everything about our services need to cater to both and need to make sure that people on both, you know, on, on all sides uh, are satisfied and, and think that they're getting, um, you know, the benefit that, that was, uh, you know, communicated to them up front that we would offer them. So uh, it's a, it's a careful game to play, but we're doing pretty well at it so far. I am a customer. I did get my card through NugMD, and I have to say it was a, a great experience. I don't know if I'm a typical customer. I guess, you know, I am in California, I'm down in San Diego, and on the health and wellness side, I don't have a really chronic condition, but I like edibles for sleep, and I don't like paying 35 to 40% in taxes. <laughs> and I thought, okay, you know, I'll get my card. And it was a great painless experience online. It was really quick and friction-free. And then I did see the the market, and I thought that was interesting, but I, I like my dispensary. I go there. I did see the club, but I don't think the club delivers to San Diego yet. Not yet. Not yet, but but we will soon. And uh, to your point about taxes, you know, that is still what we're seeing across the board. Um, even, you know, before legalization, the average cannabis consumer, the, the large majority of cannabis consumers are, are price sensitive. Um, you know, I don't think that there's necessarily yet enough differentiation and uh, additional perceived value that's being created simply from uh, great brand building. And people are realizing that the quality of products, while there are certainly moves in either direction happening right now, you can find any number of brands to offer a very similar product experience. Uh, at totally different price points, um, and people tend to be more price sensitive. Uh, and so Nug Club was really founded in part, um, you know, to address that problem of just everything is too damn expensive. Uh, and so what we've been able to do through our model is provide a method by which we can curate specific brands that we really enjoy as, you know, cannabis experts or consumers ourselves um, and personalize them to the individual consumer 
uh, and through the way that we work with brands, offer those products on a regular basis at a price that you're just not going to find at a dispensary. Um, and so, you know, I think ultimately that is what is drawing a lot of people to Nug Club is the fact that they can spend half as much on the same or better quality products and they don't need to go into the dispensary, figure out what's right for them. Literally, we, we basically curate and tell them, hey, this is what's great this month and we are constantly on the hunt for new top shelf brands and products from all across California. So they're even getting stuff that they might not be able to find at their local dispensary. Um, and so it's really that blend of discovery you know, like I mentioned, exploring, you know, what California cannabis has to offer uh, and price that is drawing people into into the service. And then, you know, I think it's uh, made even better just by the fact that there's a awesome, really good looking box with, you know, it's, it's kind of just like a, a Christmas present. Every time you get it, you open it, you don't know what to expect. Comes with a bunch of little freebies and extras and swag. Um, and of course, you know, part of the curation element of what we offer is that the products themselves uh, come with pretty robust information, you know, about them and the brands behind them. So people like that that educational component as well. So I can't wait for us to to deliver to San Diego. I would, I would love for you to try it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. The way you describe it, it's kind of a perfect market for that. I mean, there's a lot of innovation happening. Live resin, a nano CBD or something. I mean. It seems like every every week, every month, there's a new product that you know. For someone my age, I'm a I'm a baby boomer, and it, there's a lot more to it now than just kind of rolling a joint. There's so many other options. To have a guide on that is really a nice value add. Exactly, exactly. You guys are a couple of years into this. I don't know if you still consider yourself a startup, but is this kind of the perfect market for a startup? Um, yeah, really good question. We are most definitely still a startup. Um, I would say. It is and it isn't. Uh, I don't. I don't think anything in this industry is is black and white. I don't see very many things that are like firm rules that hold in every situation. Um, in terms of why it is a great market for for a startup, um, you simply have large potential competitors uh, that are forced to remain on the sidelines right? You don't have the pharma companies, you don't have the Amazons of the world able to come in and simply dump massive amounts of capital into creating infrastructure uh, and taking over this market simply because of the federal uh, legality of it. Um, so in that sense, there is a bit of a bubble where startups have the runway uh, to experiment and to understand how to operate within this industry uh, without fear necessarily that someone's going to come in with billions of dollars and just trounce all over them. That being said, you know, the market has obviously evolved if we're talking California specifically, but elsewhere as well over the last several years. Um, there is a lot more money uh, pouring in and, and there certainly are players that are uh, that can be classified as as large at this point, right? And certainly have resources and um, you know just bandwidth to be able to to move around and and accelerate the rate of of their progress. Um, so that's that's how it is good, I think, for startups. But on the other hand, uh, I think that 
being first in a new industry where there is no playbook for literally anything, and not to mention it is a pretty highly regulated industry, that is just dangerous. Uh, you're going to trip up countless times. Um, and for many businesses, it, it proves le uh, lethal you know, to, to have to navigate something that's never been done before. Um, I think that it requires an extreme amount of financial prudence to take just the right amount of risk to place your bets um, carefully. Uh, and there's like a strong chance or, or, or a strong inclination for a lot of startups, especially ones that raise money, I think, to deploy capital, um, go hard into customer acquisition, and then overextend themselves before they've created a solid, sustainable business model. Um, so I think that's one of the dangers is that we're, you're simply navigating, you know, uh, waters that have never been charted before. And when you stack regulations onto all that, uh, which adds a whole layer of complexity and limitations, um, and it's just a massive time suck to be able to operate legitimately in this industry, you end up with just a whole ton of complexity. <laughs> and it's, it's not easy. It's, it's really not. So in, in a sense, yeah, it, there, there's definitely a protective bubble, I think, around this industry and in that if you're willing to take the risk and accept the fact that there is a very high probability of failure, um, the potential payoff is, is, is large, I think. Um, but to say that it's, you know, an easy industry to, to start in, I, I think is just totally untrue. <laughs> right. I mean, there's probably a lot of uneducated people jumping in before they understand some of the nuances you spoke of, but yeah, it's a blue ocean. I mean, it's, it's, it's wide open and it's great to be nimble, but as you say, there, there's a lot of potential missteps along the way too. Hats off on, on your progress on the three fronts that you're making progress on already. I think each one of those by themselves would be a complicated business, but to do, be doing all three of them in kind of a synergistic way is, is really impressive. And I bet you're waiting and, and hoping for that federal decriminalization, which really could simplify things a bit. It would. It would. I will say that for the folks that do learn to navigate in a in a complex system, basically, that is the cannabis industry, you end up accruing advantages. If you put in the time and, and you know, have the team, and it really comes down to team. Do you have the right people that are going to be the hustlers that are going to figure out and write the playbook in this industry? Uh, I think if you have that, then you are in a much better position. Um, so in a sense, yes, decriminalization, legalization, et cetera, uh, would open the floodgates. And I think, ri you know, rising tide lifts all boats type of situation. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we're in a position right now where we pr feel pretty confident that we've been through the ringer through the last several years, and we've solved some of the toughest problems there is to solve for our business personally, um, that we actually think we're strategically well positioned to um, you know, to bear the fruits of that labor and, and outcompete uh, perhaps some of the, the other players in the space. That being said, there, there's so much opportunity for everyone that, that our mindset is certainly not necessarily to uh, ruthlessly compete. I think there's so much room for, for plenty of, you know, 
brands and companies within every vertical uh, in this industry to, to find success. You mentioned your team, and I think that's obviously important in any kind of startup to have the right kind of people. I wouldn't say it's a, a perfect bifurcation, but there is sort of a, a belief that there's old school hippies who were growing this stuff up in the, in the Emerald Triangle, and then there's like guys in three-piece suits who are throwing a lot of money at it. Those are both stereotypes that are assuredly incorrect. Somewhere in between is what you're doing, applying technology and the right kind of brain power in the right way. And I got to say, I got to compliment you on your brand too. I think there's just a, a friendly vibe about it that is really appealing. Is that an important part of what you're doing? Um, first of all, thank you. Um, yeah, especially with Nug Club, I think is where we've really started pushing the envelope, You know, at least for our team. Um, and how we think about brand. Um, and it has been an evolution through the you know, various lines of business to understand how we do that. But you know, as a whole, I think within the industry, brand is probably one of the most important things. Um, you know, the, re- the reality is with, with just regulations and the federal illegality of cannabis, you have limited access to performance marketing channels that every other industry has access to, right? Google ads, Facebook ads, Instagram, uh, what have you. The cannabis space struggles immensely to, to, you know, uh, to make its way into those channels. You, you can, in some ways, get your way around some of those regulations, but it's never sustainable. And in our experience, it usually ends up being more trouble than it's worth. So the reality is there are simply limited methods by which you can actually reach your end consumer. Um, and with that being the case, I think building a brand that emanates on its own uh, and is accelerated and uh, you know embraced by people almost exclusively through word of mouth and just the incredible products and experiences that you're building for people, I think that is one of the only options that cannabis companies have right now uh, to be able to grow their business. So brand, I, I think, can't be overstated with, with how important it is. Well, and you did mention SEO. And if you can't use Google ads or Facebook ads, understanding a, you know, it's health and wellness, or in some places, it's it's more focused on chronic and medicinal conditions. But understanding where that consumer is, is coming from, what's on their mind, what they're likely to put into the search box when they're sitting down to look for a product. You guys have to have a good understanding of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a channel that I recommend most companies to consider heavily. Uh, I wouldn't recommend every every company to jump head first into SEO or content marketing without you know doing proper due diligence to understand whether there's an opportunity uh, for their specific product to benefit from organic search. Uh, but I'd say it is one of the main channels that is going to I mean, across almost any industry, if you have a product that has, you know, high enough relevance and um, is simply like mass market enough, SEO is is going to be hands down the most effective channel for, for most industries and products. If you can make your way to a dominant position within, you know, search results. Um that being said, it is not a short-term, it is not a medium-term channel. It is absolutely a long game that requires upfront investment that you're not going to see back for a minimum of 9 to 12 months, I'd say, if you're just getting started. 
Um, but it is one of those channels that once you have invested years into it, the benefits continue to accrue and you're, you're in a better and better position over time. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's a tough decision that every business in, in, in cannabis needs to need to make, I think. Um, but ultimately I do think with federal legalization, SEO as a channel that's worth investing in will be a matter of when, not if for most companies and brands. Um, but yeah, it's one of those just remarkable, remarkable ways of reaching people that ultimately becomes one of the most effective in terms of ROI. Large upfront investment, ongoing, pretty decent you know, investment needed for maintenance and upkeep. Um, but what you can gain from it in the long run, if you are in those number one, number two, number three positions for major search terms that have commercial or you know buyer's intent uh it's just remarkable what you can get from that channel are you ever tempted to kind of shortcut your way to consumer mind share through the celebrity channel like we see snoop dogg and martha stewart have cbd and, and cannabis brands and certainly you know you see hollywood guys george clooney had a tequila brand that he sold for a lot of money does the celebrity channel hold any appeal for you it it does. Um, it's definitely a, a tool in the toolkit. Uh, I think it needs to be considered with extra scrutiny compared to other options. Um, and this is certainly not born out of any research that we've done. Uh, there's incredible people throughout the industry that I think have reported on this already. Um, but we certainly believe this just from a first principles perspective that, you know, if you're going to engage uh, any celebrity or, you know, popular endorser for your brand, that they need to align just absolutely perfectly with your brand. Um, and that can be really, really difficult to do. And I think specifically within cannabis, as opposed to maybe like alcohol or other industries, I think what we are seeing is that consumers are a lot more, and it might be a, an age thing. It might be a demographics thing. It might be just the world we live in in 2020 surrounded by, you know, influencer culture and whatnot, that authenticity reigns supreme. I think consumers are a lot more discerning within the cannabis realm uh, and a lot more skeptical of brands that align themselves or are started by celebrities, frankly, because it is seen as, um, or you risk being seen as simply trying to cash in, you know, on the green rush, basically. Um, but you do see examples of celebrities that are doing this really well. Uh, for instance, the cookies brand uh, with, I believe, you know, Burner is the, is the rapper behind that. Um, you know, they've, he's been, he's been a part of cannabis culture and the California cultivation scene, from what I understand, going back 20 years. So this is a guy that, you know, cannabis has, has been, you know, part of his life and, and, you know, he's been surrounded by it for, for decades at this point. So when he comes out and builds a brand, he already knows who his target customer is. He already knows how to talk about cannabis. His, his audience already knows that he, you know, is a cannabis enthusiast and proponent. Um, so that alignment is inherently there, whereas, and, you know, Snoop Dogg, I think, naturally has that as well. I frankly can't speak to, 
you know, what type of success that brand is, is seeing right now, because it's not very prevalent in California. Um, but, you know, Martha Stewart, some of these other athletes coming in, trying to get on the CBD craze. Uh, I think consumers nowadays can see through that and view that as inauthentic. Um, and you actually risk a lot with putting your brand in that situation to be associated with someone that is not going to be viewed as authentic. So we haven't made any serious moves in that direction, um, but it's possible that we might in the future. Um, outside of cannabis example of a brand that I think is doing this, has done this well recently was Peloton uh, signing with Beyonce for a few years or whatever. Um, I personally think that's a, a, a magical brand alignment. Um, just knowing the, the audience that Peloton has and, you know, trying to bring a level of entertainment and lifestyle uh, kind of culture into their, you know, fitness from home products. Um, so I think ultimately brands just need to be really careful about who they align themselves with and make sure I think as well that the partnerships with the celebrities are not rooted strictly in um, monetary or financial performance. I think there just needs to be a love that goes both ways. The, the, the team, the company, the brand needs to love what the celebrity stands for and vice versa. Right. That authenticity, as you say, is so important. And at the end of the day, humans are unpredictable and your brand has to have absolute certainty. <laughs> Some of those professional athletes, you, you don't know where they're going to go. Yeah. I yeah. could totally understand any reticence there. Any other businesses, you mentioned Peloton, but are there other businesses that you really admire? Oh, that's a great, good question. There are countless uh, always hard on the spot to necessarily think of which ones are the most uh, of highest acclaim, I guess. Um, an unpopular answer, probably, uh, but one that I'll stand by is, I mean, they're obviously a Goliath at this point, is, is just Amazon. I mean, they've got the resources to do anything, but the operational excellence that comes out of that company just never ceases to amaze me. Um, what they've done in terms of turning cost centers into profit centers, I think is something that the cannabis industry could, could learn from a little bit um, in that, you know, when Amazon first started creating what eventually became AWS, it was really, you know, digital infrastructure for their own services and, and backend processes, um, which they now turned into a more lucrative business than their retail business. Um, they're doing the same thing right now with with their shipping. Um, so prime shipping, um, their air freight, uh, and all that is you know was born out of a need to improve their logistics. But now they are going to start offering that as a service. And I just can only imagine, you know, what Amazon is going to do when they are rivaling USPS, FedEx, UPS, etc. Um, so I mean, just the way that that company has managed to basically achieve strategic fit amongst the activities that they pursue is just a, a marvel in, in just business excellency and operational efficiency. I, I think every company in any industry can, can learn from what they do. Um, I think Airbnb is another brand that I love. I know these are huge brands that I'm mentioning, um, but Airbnb specifically as it relates to being a brand and a company that operates within the gig economy, 
but has so clearly, you know, placed their flag in the ground on where they stand in terms of how gig economy workers should be treated is something that I think is to be commended as opposed to Uber and even Lyft um, and some other, you know, on-demand gig economy services that you see where it seems, at least to me, that there's a high level of exploitation basically going on, that these gig economy workers are getting the short end of the stick. Uh, I think Airbnb has done a phenomenal job of making sure that taking care of their hosts and their gig workers and making sure that there is an equitable and fair exchange of value there um, is something that you don't see very often these days and I think needs to happen a lot, lot more across the board, whether you want to call that corporate responsibility or whatever other buzzword. I think there's something to creating ethical business models that scale and don't inevitably become extractive or exploitative of the workforce that supports them. Right. That would seem to be essential for long-term sustainability. I mean, if you're if you are exploiting your human resources, at some point that seems like it's going to come back at you. <laughs> the, the the issue with Uber is I and and I, I don't know that the workforce necessarily knows they're being exploited to the extent that they are. I, I don't think and not to discredit, you know, the the attention that these workers are paying to their own livelihoods, but it's just a hard calculation to make to be able to understand, you know what type of outcome you're ultimately getting when you're factoring in depreciation, wear and tear on your car, like all, all those other components, not getting the, the benefits of being an employee. It's, uh, you know, I personally don't know if I could accurately make that calculation either, but it, it seems that the work, yeah, ultimately I think you're right. I, at some point, you know, it's going to become pretty obvious uh, that the trade-off is, is, is not necessarily worth it, that one side is getting the better end of the deal. Uh, I don't know if we're there yet with some of those gig economy companies, but inevitably, you're totally right. The, to create you know, sustainability by way of making sure the you know, human capital is being treated appropriately is, is absolutely critical. Yeah. The Amazon story, I can't remember the name of the film, but there was a sci-fi movie set in the dystopian future, and there's still Amazon deliveries happening. I don't know if you saw it. it was, <laughs> I, it was I have not. It was brilliant. And uh, there's a spoiler that I won't disclose, but if I can remember the name of it, I'll, I'll send it to you. But I'll, I'll yeah, please do. It was brilliant. I have to ask if you have a favorite cannabis product or service other than what you guys do. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm definitely a little biased. <laughs> I, I, I think Nug Club is uh, something really special, and I, I definitely encourage anyone to give it a shot. Um, but I mean, it's um, it's kind of irresistible when you think about the value that that delivers. I mean, anybody who is a cannabis aficionado is going to want to try that, I would think. And And even beyond that, you know, we are listening to our customers day in and day out. And right now, one of the biggest things that we've realized is we don't just want to be able to cater to the aficionado, the person who is consuming quite a bit. Our, our you know, target customer right now is someone that's you know, able, able to, to take down $250 worth of product a month or every other month. That's, that's definitely you know, a pretty regular consumer. 
Um, but we want to be able to give access to the great deals and products and discovery uh, that we offer to even the more casual cannabis consumers. So we are going to be offering a, a smaller box option soon where that price and, and simply quantity threshold is lowered. Um, so, you know, we, we, we definitely hope to be able to offer that, offer this to more people, but outside of Nug Club, uh, I mean, it's been a real privilege and just, you know, a fun time being able to see the brands that we get in, uh, into the box, right. You know, we are going out and trying to find the best of the best and, and only putting them in the box. Um, a couple that come to mind just off the top of my head, although I'm definitely not doing justice, the number of brands that should be on this list, uh, selfies is a really cool pre-roll brand. Um, they have basically, you know, positioned themselves as creating pre-rolls that are, you know, pers personals basically for yourself. I think it's like a half gram uh, per pre-roll as opposed to the typical, you know, one and a half to two grams that you're getting. Their branding is incredible. They've got these just like awesome, like rigid, hard case, packaging for their pre-rolls that has like a luminescence or kind of like a holographic effect uh, if you're familiar with like playing cards from back in the day um, that's just really cool to see uh, and pe and nug club members absolutely love this brand i mean they sell out basically every time we restock them uh tradecraft farms on the flower side as well what they've done with their packaging i can't actually attest to the quality of their product necessarily uh, on a personal level, I definitely know that our curators have have given it the the green light uh, from a Nug Club quality perspective. Uh, but their packaging and their brand is just beautiful, and I think is a testament to some of the you know innovative stuff that we're going to see from cannabis companies going forward. Um, let me think, what else? I honestly don't do I don't take edibles much anymore at all. Uh, but I've seen some incredible brands from the edible space. Um, Pantry, uh, Kana. Um, oh gosh, there's so many. I'm a big fan of Kana myself. I also yeah. like Wild. Um, oh, yes. Really yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, yeah, those are the ones that come to mind. But honestly, there's, like you said earlier, there's new ones coming to market all the time. Um, there's incredible entrepreneurs and brand builders and, and marketers behind these these companies. And, um, you know, part of what's exciting about this industry, even going back to what we were saying earlier about how larger, you know, larger competitors aren't really able to enter the field, is that there still is, even though it's slowly dissipating, there still is this air of camaraderie that exists within the industry you know we can all win the pie is big enough um and so there's there's a lot of experimentation happening there's a lot of creativity um that is just blossoming and, and is probably in part being uh you know forced by the nature of, of what's happening on the regulatory side you know you have to be creative to to basically grab mindshare and, and attention from the consumer um but yeah it's uh it's an exciting time we're living through right now. And, and I oh, can yeah. only imagine it's going to, it's going to keep being that way. The golden age. Alex, is there anything we, we haven't covered yet that we should? I will say that uh, I think I remember um, a question that you had posed to me over email or, or elsewhere was something along the lines of like the biggest challenges in the industry. I think for anyone coming into the space as, as a business owner, entrepreneur, 
um, to acknowledge or, or just to, you know, something that's worth noting within the industry is that the supply chain is still very nascent. The infrastructure here still has a lot of work to be done to be totally reliable. And if you're starting a brand, I'd say plan for that, um, for there to be bottlenecks and holdups and suppliers and vendors that don't come through all the time. Everyone's certainly doing their best, but there are uh, there are ones that are better than others. Um, and so that is a really tricky component to navigate. Um, and so I just say for anyone getting into the industry to, to be aware of that, that, you know, we are not yet at the point as the consumer might think where, uh, you know, we can bring product farm to table and, and it to be smooth, you know, all the way along that process. There's, there's a lot that's happening on the back end that, uh, it really feels like you know the roof is on fire constantly. So that's that's one thing that's worth worth noting if if you're concerned uh, considering getting into the business. I can hear something behind that. I mean the the idea of filling a box every month and with an inconsistent supply chain. I bet there were some Chinese fire drills. Um, there have been a couple. There have been a couple. <laughs> Well, thank you for making the time uh, to chat about this. Um, I'm super interested in following you guys and, and rooting for you as you go because it's a success story. And I know a lot of our listeners will want to follow up and check you out online. Uh, where should where should we look for you online? Uh, yeah, not too many places, frankly. Um, nugclub.com, that's Nug with two Gs, uh, obviously for, for just our website. Uh, Instagram at nugclubofficial.com. Uh, we are starting to post more content there and we definitely repost a ton of our user generated content, people just sharing photos of their boxes, which happens, you know, at an insane rate. Um, so it's cool to just go get some, some box porn, I guess, <laughs> on our Instagram, you can see just, you know, all the different products that have come in boxes across the, uh, across the months that we've been in operation. Um, for anyone interested in working for us, uh, reach out to me personally, alex at getnug.com, G-E-T-N-U-G-G.com. Uh, we also have job postings available uh, primarily through angel.co. Uh, search for Nug. Um, and honestly, we're not very active on LinkedIn, Twitter, anything like that. Um, so I think those are probably the best places to reach us. All right. And I'll be looking forward to uh, when that box is being shipped to San Diego and uh, definitely get on, on the list for that. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Tom, thanks so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to share some of what we're doing. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. Have a good one. You've been listening to the Cannaboom Podcast with host Tom Stacy. If you like the show and want to know more, please check us out at Cannaboom with a K.com. And please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next week.